Hi. Welcome to Ruin My Life, a podcast about forcing your friends to like the things you like. I'm Jason Edwards. I'm Kelsey Goldman. And Kelsey, on this episode, we are talking about a very special movie. Maybe one of the best movies of all time. Certainly one of my favorite movies. And undeniably one of the most iconic movies of all time, if not possibly the most iconic horror movie of all time i would i would agree with that last one yes it's in contention at least at the very least it's up there like in, top three or five like, i want to get into what the top three or five are at right. some point but yeah but first let me say the movie i'm discussing the movie i'm talking about that we are discussing because you can't have a one person discussion <laughs> people is... try <laughs> have you been on twitter oh oh, oh coming oh. in with the with the go with the jokes she i got, got jokes she got jokes today folks it's the shining Yes. Directed by Stanley Kubrick, the 1980 achievement in cinema. Achievement. Uh, far, leaps and beyond, leaps and bounds beyond anything else. Uh, it's a movie. You all, I mean, everyone listening to this knows what The Shining is, but just in case you somehow don't. you don't. Yes. It's a movie about a man named Jack Torrance who hates his family. Played by Jack Nicholson. And then he finally gets a chance to kill them. Yep. But he screws it up and then he dies outside. In the cold. In the cold. In the winter. That's pretty much it. In Colorado. No, so based on the novel by Stephen King, The Shining is the story of Jack Torrance and his wife, Wendy, and their son, Danny, who, when Jack is given an opportunity to become the caretaker of the Overlook Hotel, they go up to stay over the winter alone, just the three of them, because... Because that makes sense. Because basically he's there to make sure the pipes don't freeze. Yeah. And he has to keep the heat circulating there's like a routine he has to go through where like every day he heats a different section of the hotel but basically they have to be he has to be up there for the entire run of the winter because the area they're in is so snowy and treacherous to get to that it's not even you can't even have it open during the winter it's too treacherous which is their way of explaining why a big nice resort hotel in the, in the Colorado mountains, mountains is closed, would be closed during, during the winter, winter. <laughs> Which, I mean, they do, you know, it, it looks pretty treacherous. It does, but it also, there's a little bit of a plot hole there. I would have put it, I think I would have put the hotel somewhere not, like. Yeah, like you would have put it on the surface of the moon. That, <laughs> sure. There's a place you really can't get to. You really can't get there. I don't know, just like. Oh, that's what Dr. Sleep should have been about. The surface of the moon. <laughs> the Overlook 2 on the surface <laughs> on of the, the moon. the moon. I don't know, because I think maybe because in my privileged upbringing, I went skiing in Colorado every winter. It just doesn't, it just seems like such a bad business decision to have a hotel in Colorado that you close in the winter. Um, I think I've like passed by the hotel, because the hotel is based on us in like Estes Park, right? Yes. Yeah. Because Sarah and I stayed there during our Colorado vacation of 2018. Yeah, because that's near where like we used to go skiing. I think I've like driven by it. Yeah. Estes Park. Have you, have you did you spend time in Estes Park? I don't think so. It's it's a well, it's a hilarious town because the only reason it's there is so you can go skiing or go to the state park, which is beautiful. Yeah, it's a beautiful park. Mm-hmm. But we were only there like for that reason. Mm-hmm. But to Sarah go to the hotel. But Sarah, out of the kindness of her heart, was generous enough to let us stay in this supposedly haunted hotel, uh, where Stephen King, I guess, stayed one night in the mid seventies and had this idea like, boy, what if this was a haunted hotel? Ooh. And what if? There was a writer staying there who was an alcoholic. <laughs> what? Yeah. What if, Stephen? What if, what if? Stephen? Anyway, so for those back not to know, the Stephen King is, is actually relevant. <laughs> Stephen King was a crippling alcoholic and drug addict in the seventies. Yeah, he's better now, though, right? He's better now. He, yeah, he mm-hmm. got he got help. I don't know if he went through the program. 
but he's he is sober now. Okay. I remember there's there's a detail in his book on writing which mm-hmm. is kind of not super helpful for uh, writing advice. <laughs> and it took me a long time to figure that out. It's a good description of his process, but yeah. the thing is his process is not the same thing as most he, normal humans process. So, but it's a fascinating look at his at his uh, life and his way of working and there's a yeah. detail in it that when he was really in the, in like just like super in the grips of alcoholism but didn't want anyone to know, he would chug mouthwash in the bathroom because like his wife's in the bedroom like right next door so he can't like drink so he's just chugging like listerine while he's brushing his teeth at night Ooh. and it's like man that's whew, that's pretty low that's but not quite clean gums though <laughs> I, I don't know if drinking it in that true. quantity really helps your gums true fair enough in any case the gum health might be offset by the damage it does to your liver stomach lining and liver <laughs> um but anyway Stephen King wrote this book about this this crazy idea he had, which like all his crazy ideas are just him projecting his own life into some fantasy ghost world, which, hey, good on you, Stephen. At least you're doing that <laughs> and not, you know, real life. Yes. <laughs> um, but so Stephen, so Stephen King wrote this book. I think he, it came out in 76, but in 1980, the movie was released. It's a big turnover. Quick turnover, it feels like. Especially for, because I, I, I think uh, Kubrick must have gotten it like immediately because yeah. Kubrick, you know, Famously meticulous. Stanley Kubrick, of course, uh, director of many fine films, such Which as 2001 is A Space Odyssey. the only one I've seen. <sighs> Barry Lyndon, Eyes Wide Shut, and I assume others. Uh, he made the movie. Yeah. Clockwork Orange. He, he did Clockwork that Orange. That's a good one. I have, yeah. I have not actually seen that many, so I'm not judging. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it was, it was released. It seems like it got kind of a mixed reception because it was advertised as the scariest movie ever made. From, you know, this master director, this is like 10 years after 2001, so it's like, yeah. Sandy Kubrick is a well-known, like, big name, like, artsy director. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- so I imagine if you were advertising, like, in the, like, the late 70s, early 80s, like, this is like right after Halloween had come out, because Halloween came out in 78, okay. and kind of, like, established, like, a new style of horror, and, like, re- I think reasserted the popularity of horror cinema. And so you, you get that in your head, like, oh, what this 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 incredibly talented director is having this like scary ass book by Stephen King. This is going to be the scariest shit ever. And what people got was a very slow, almost two and a half hour long, very cerebral, very dry movie about question mark. Yeah. Also, I just want to put this out. I think you should write a book on the history of horror cinema. Uh, I'm sure I could. I don't know if it'd be very good. I assume it's been written, but I would love to hear like you do like a deep dive into like the I, evolution of horror cinema. I, th- I think I know enough about horror cinema that I could, I, I have a, maybe just like a one-off hour long podcast. No, here's the thing. The, the book <laughs> is, is the things I do know, which are true. Yeah. But then I would just sort of like project the gaps. Yeah. Like I would fill in the gaps just through speculation. And I think, I think the history you would come up with there would be probably more interesting than the actual history of, there's like a podcast in here somewhere although they say the truth is stranger than fiction so who knows there's like a podcast in here somewhere so i'm gonna table that and think about it but (laughs) i just it it was in my head and i was like i just love to hear jason's takes on like the evolution of horror cinema um thanks kelsey i imagine you'll get that chance both on and off mic yeah (laughs) for the uh foreseeable future and the unforeseeable future (laughs) so yes this long cerebral movie that is about question mark Yes, I've seen it many times. Yes. Saw it the first time in high school, mm-hmm. which of course I went nuts for it. And it's uh, it's a movie that question. Did you go nuts for it because because of like 
you know how important it is or did you go nuts for it because you're like oh this is genius like did you understand the genius of it the first time you saw it i liked it okay um this and this is what i was, was saying it's a movie that can really change meaning uh, based on who watched it and when yeah. you watch it because like i will get more into this later i assume yeah. but oh i'll just get into it now <laughs> i'm gonna give you t- a chance to speak i promise in one second okay but first of all you need to know about a movie called room 237 <laughs> by director rodney asher which i should watch you should watch it is a documentary it is essentially um rodney asher gave six people just free reign to explain what they think the shining is about and he edited together basically a long-form video essay of these six different theories all interwoven together and what it proves is that the shining is such a is a unique movie in that all movies are like this and that's kind of the thesis of the documentary is that art is you know largely about what the person uh, experiencing it brings to it but the shining i think is particularly suited to that because it is a movie that has a lot of uh leaves a lot of questions unanswered and it's a you know when i first watched it it was like just a you know it's a it's, it's a yeah, it's a pretty intense movie. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of really strong imagery. The performances are memorable. There's like a lot of iconic moments. So if you've seen things like parodied or referenced, you there's the sort of the click of like, oh hey, that's where that's from. Yeah, watching this movie in 2020 for the first time as an adult was weird. But we'll talk about that when you're finished. Yes, and I and I will that will be just now because I'm, all, <laughs> all I want to say is that this movie went from a cool, fun, creepy, haunted house movie when I first saw it to now. That I'm, you know, a, a slightly older. Um, I think I'm at least twice as old as I was when I first saw this movie. So that's a fun little fact for me <laughs> to think about. Uh, it's now a movie that's to me clearly about um, abuse and an abusive family dynamic and how that plays out in this enhanced, you know, horror fantasy ghost world, as I termed it earlier. But Kelsey, you also have seen this movie. Yes, we watched this movie last weekend. Your first time. For the first time. What did you think about it? So I liked it. I think like it's a visually stunning movie, like not in a like it's pretty way, but in it's very well crafted cinematographically. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Is that a word? No, probably not. It's our podcast. <laughs> um, like and there's so many like the, I think I said this during the movie and that like I can't tell when Stanley Kubrick is inventing a trope or using a trope that already exists because that's like how iconic this movie is. Cause like, I mean, I guess it's also Stephen King. Like, so like, you know what Stanley Kubrick and Stephen King are doing? Like, I'm like, wait, is this the first time someone did this? Cause if you don't know that it's the first time it was done, you're kind of like, this is kind of dumb. Cause like a lot of the things that are being done in, in both the plot and the, and the like, I guess direction, but it's not totally what I want to say. Um, I like the crafting of this film um, are so ingrained in film now that you wouldn't know that this was like revolutionary at the time. Do you have an example? I mean, I think like some of the, obviously like a lot of the like horror tropes, like, I forget what when I said this in my head, but I think like I can't. I wish I'd written this down when I was watching the movie, but that would have been hard. (laughs) Um, But I think like some of the um, the uses of music, the sort of like angles of cameras, I think are stuff you like I've seen in other movies, but come from here, or at least I assume 
they come from here. And I was reading a little about the music today in that, like, he totally, Kubrick had it scored one way and he totally, like, threw it out at the end or mm. right before he released it and re, like, like, basically chopped and screwed everything that was composed by the two people who had done Space Odyssey. Um, and then added a bunch of, like, Eastern European classical music, which is crazy and interesting, <laughs> but, like, also, like, really works with the film. And then I think I think a lot of the shots, like, the sort of ominousness of a lot of the shots feels very specific to this context and is has been tried to be recreated a lot in um, other places. I, I think there might be something uh, in that this, this, it's not just that things have been replicated, although they certainly yeah. have, but in that the way the movie is shot, and this is largely due to the, not only the, the cinematography and the pacing of the movie, but also just the atmosphere and the music, as you're saying, mm-hmm. it feels dreamlike. It feels yes. like, I think there are probably things that you had not seen before, but because the movie creates a sort of like, this is very intense, um, everything, the, everything the feels. The movie creates like an atmosphere, which you don't get a ton when you're like watching a movie. It, it really, it feels like you are maybe seeing something from the, uh, the collective unconscious. Like there's like a, there's like the, the whole Jungian idea and maybe like some of the images in this are, and again, it might just be because Stanley Kubrick was very good at what he did and he made it feel that way. Uh, on purpose because <laughs> he's making a movie or <laughs> uh, but I think he was so good at it and he was so good at nailing this particular like tone this particular tone this sort of way of framing things both literally and figuratively that it does feel like you're watching something emerge from your your memory that you didn't know you you had already experienced in a way yeah I think the tone is something specifically that is so recognizable but like originates here i'm fairly sure like there's a moment when danny's riding around on his little tricycle thing Mm -hmm. and the like way that the noise of the the like wheels stops and starts with the rug and the not the rug and like is so like ominous but also like so puts you in into the place um that like just really struck me that whole like sequence actually when he's riding around um (laughs) But, like, that specifically that use of, like, the noise there, I really didn't think that the score of this movie, like, affected me as much as it did. But the more I thought about it today, the more I was, like, interesting. <laughs> yeah. Because there are, like, what we might call scare chords. Things yeah. that usually accompany jump scares. Yeah. Which are, like, you know, just big, loud blasts of music. But as you know, t- today, the idea of a jump scare is basically this, like, long, quiet moment. And then, ah, yeah. something jumps out of you. And then you get that, the very loud yeah. noise that basically tricks you into being afraid. Yeah. Which, which can be effective if, if done properly. Mm-hmm. But in this, those moments that happen that are terrifying, that are like intrusions of this other world onto the, our reality. They're not jump scares. No, because like, they, they're it's, introduced it's and telegraphed. Like, yeah. Also. For, for like the, the, the two, the, the famous, the twin girls that yeah. are saying it in, in the hallway and they say the creepy thing in the creepy voice when Danny is like riding around his little, you know, tricycle and sees yeah. them. Uh, that's like, and that holds in that image and that, and that note, literally that musical note and that note in a figurative sense for a long time. Mm-hmm. So it's not you. You really it really imprints really itself on your brain in a much more lasting way. And it's not so much like what I would call like scary as it is unsettling. Mm-hmm. Like I think this movie is a lot more unsettling than anything else. Like I was never like fearful in like the way that some scary movies like do make me scared. Mm-hmm. But I was definitely unsettled the whole time, and like 
I like I think I felt the emotions like I felt the way that I feel like Wendy would feel in that space you know that's why it's a good movie yeah no like the it's a good movie because the story holds up even after you've seen it multiple times and then as i was saying you discover new uh, new elements to it things you did not know before it's less about the story than it is about the atmosphere the movie creates i think yeah but the atmosphere i think in the story work in tandem i think the atmosphere communicates things the story is not telling you on a uh, on a script level it's not telling you a lot on a script level exactly because <laughs> i'm still like kind of confused about what's supposed to be happening i don't care that much but i am kind of confused about it that's fair but Mm -hmm. i think then this is because again i've just seen it now i have this very very specific take on it which i think the movie uh can support many different takes which is what room 237 is about because that's a some there's some wild takes in there (laughs) to to say the least but i think you know if, if we're going from my reading which is it's a movie about uh, you know, an abusive family dynamic and how they all it, all, it sort of is brought to a boil in this isolated location, then then what you need to know is is that those, those dynamics are in place, but you know before they get there. Yeah. And then you're basically watching that play out over the course of this these few months. I mean, there's also like a metaphor there of like, in an abusive dynamic, like there's often a sense of like entrapment and actually in, in this specific instance, they are actually physically trapped. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because they're given... All this this space. They're in this they're in a, they're in, a, in this massive hotel that they can basically access every part of at any time. But it's almost as if that gives them more space to sort of project their own inner conflict and demons onto. For Jack, yeah. especially. Yeah, for Jack. Well, I guess only for Jack, really. Yeah. And then Wendy and Danny have to endure it and eventually come to terms with what's happening and, and recognize it and then escape. I think. Which spoiler alert? They do. Yeah. I think for me, the thing where it kind of like that like just bothers me a little bit about like what's mm-hmm. explained and what's not is the whole like the the chef guy Halloran explaining mm-hmm. about the shine to Danny like that just didn't feel necessary like other than to be like oh he said the thing <laughs> well you, you, you have to explain why Danny is psychic and why he can communicate with with uh Dick Halloran across hundreds of miles and and why he's seeing these things I didn't get the sense that like he was though like I thought that was all like Halloran just like having a weird connection with the hotel, but well, we see Danny sitting up in bed, sort of like shined yeah. out, sort of you know seizuring out and like drooling and stuff, and then that's when Dick Halloran wakes up and is like, "Something's going on at the Overlook Hotel." Okay. So we're meant to understand, and because he and Danny do speak to each other psychically in that in that first scene they have together, yeah, during which like Dick explicitly says like, "I didn't know everyone could do this thing, but we can both do it, and now you know that I can do it, and and I know you can do it." Yeah, I just I it. Reading the article you sent me was helpful in that. About the differences between the About the, the difference between the, the book and the movie. Because I think, like, Danny having that power or whatever, it, it seems much more important in the book. It is. And Stephen King, I don't know if this was in that article, he hates the movie. Oh, for sure. Yeah, that was in the article. Okay, yeah. That's, that's yeah. like, the most well-known piece of trivia about this movie is that Stephen King fucking hates it. <laughs> Which is, I, I imagine, like, because he's got... Because he's hated it since it came out. Yeah. And it's like 40 years now. <laughs> and he's never backed down from it, even a little bit. So I got, I got to imagine at some point he he had to realize that it was good. Yeah. Probably after he tried to make his own miniseries in the 90s. Yeah. With um, uh, William Fichtner, the fake uh, fake James Woods. You, you, you know him if you saw him. Yeah. He's the, fa- he's the guy who he's looks the like James, James Woods, Woods, but he's not James Woods, which sure. is good in some ways and bad in other ones. <laughs> 
Um, but I think I think it's sort of the sort of thing where he's he's dug in so deep on it he just can't admit that he's yeah. wrong because it is the best uh, adaptation of Stephen King's work as a movie, as an attempt to capture what a Stephen King book is like mm-hmm. in film form. Mm-hmm. That it's not the best one of those, but I don't yeah. know if that would but be like a good ad- thing. Adapting a uh, adapting something to a good movie and making it a very loyal adaptation are two different things. Right, and I think that second thing is probably. Yeah best not I have, done i have a lot of opinions about that <laughs> mostly i've been relating to the third harry potter movie no oh, <laughs> and that it's good yeah it's it's, it's the best and one. that it's the best one yeah and a yeah. lot of people are like no it left out all this stuff i was like no but it's the best movie it is <laughs> it just is the best movie it's, yeah. it's not even a contest not even alfonso Cuarón. yeah <laughs> he, i mean he's okay i mean he did a good job <laughs> he's made on a that few thing. good ones he's made a few good ones um but yes, yeah, so and I think the idea of ad- adapting something loyally is basically not worth yeah. doing. I think I think you know, like there's always going to be someone who's mad. However, you adapt a thing, exactly. And if you can adapt something and make it work for the f- the media format that it's in, like I think you can. And the thing is, like reading that article, like there's not that much that's different. Like the the core of the story is the same. I think you know the stuff. I I do kind of wonder how Doctor Sleep goes over, since like a lot of the stuff that apparently, because this was in the article, Doctor Sleep is about is more about like the shine and like the the poltergeist and feeding off of psychic energy. Oh, we could, we could do a whole other episode about Doctor Sleep, and we should. Okay. I think if you like the Shining at all, if you have if you have any interest in Doctor Sleep, you should see it because it's very. I just good. want to see Rebecca Ferguson in that hat. But she's great. Well, you could see that <laughs> almost exclusive, exclusively. <laughs> you will not see her wearing anything else. Is it good? Wait, that's that's not. I mean, her name in the movie is Rose the Hat, that right? Thing, that came out wrong. But you know yeah. what I mean. She yeah, wears that in every scene in she's every in, scene, pretty much. Yeah. It's her name. <laughs> yeah, she's Rose the Hat. She has a hat. <laughs> yeah. And then, then thus fulfilling the prophecy, as you pointed out to me, because this movie has playing uh, the role of Dick Halloran. This has Scatman Crothers. Yes. So this movie has a hat, has a Scatman. Scat man. And uh, the sequel has a, has a, a hat, hat man. man. I pointed that out, didn't I? You did, yeah. yeah. You, you, yeah, you nailed it. <laughs> I there, nailed it. There always must be one of each. <laughs> there always must be one. <laughs> um... But yeah, and 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 the Doctor Sleep I think is is especially impressive, and well, it's impressive in that it's good at all, which it is, I think, very good, especially considering yeah, it, it is it is essentially cashing in on nostalgia for the first movie. Yeah. But Mike Flanagan, the director and, yeah. and screenwriter, does a really good job of reconciling the two movies because mm-hmm. they because of the of the book and the and the film of The Shining because yeah. it is a sequel to the movie, but it has to in order to be the story of Doctor Sleep, it has to bring in things from. The book. And it's in Doctor Sleep is a book also, right? Yes, sorry. Doctor yeah. Sleep was in book originally. <laughs> there was a sequel to the book. The Shining, the Shining obviously. Yeah. And then uh, Mike Flanagan was able to reconcile those two things, I think, very well. What did Stephen King think of the movie? Uh, I don't really know. He hasn't commented? I think he, I think he probably liked it. He, he, he mostly comments very positively on adaptations of his work. Yeah. Except for The Shining. Except for The Shining. <laughs> the one that's like unimpeachably good. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I like writing the bullet. For nostalgia reasons, mostly. It's pretty bad. Yeah. I'm trying to think if I've seen any other adaptations of Stephen King work. Oh, what are the big ones? Cujo. I haven't seen that. Christine. I haven't seen that. Uh, Sleepwalkers. I have not seen that. What's the... There, you know, what? it, it's the new... Oh, yeah. The new It is... That's okay. There's an old It, though, too, right? Yeah. The TV the TV series. The TV miniseries. Films. Carrie. Haven't Carrie? seen that Oh, one. Carrie's good. I saw that recently, actually, Brian for the Palmer. first time. I haven't seen that, but like I Oh, know. You've, you've probably seen The Shawshank Redemption. Haven't seen The Shawshank oh, Redemption. it's pretty good. <laughs> I've heard. It's a good one. Heard it's it. weird that it was like the number one movie on MDB for about 15 years. That was kind of weird. But it's a good movie. 
Green Mile. Wait, I've seen Secret Window. Hey, Secret Window. <laughs> Secret Garden, Secret Window. That movie sucks. But. Wait, I've seen Secret Window, right? It was bad. You stole my story. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, I've seen that the, one. The greatest line read of all time by, <laughs> yeah. by John Turturro. You yeah. stole my story. I have seen that one. I will burn your life and every person in it like a cane field and a high wind. Oh. I kind of want to watch that for like nostalgia's sake now. It's Secret so window. bad. <laughs> I was really into Secret Window when I first saw it. And I, w- I wanted so bad to have Johnny Depp's hair in that There's movie. There's a bunch of TBA. His hair in that movie is so good. Like it's long and like sort of like orange blonde. It's like it's like it's like a feathered and like there's highlights running through it. It's it's amazing. And he spends the whole movie in a bathrobe. Oh man. He does look comfy AF in that movie. He does. <laughs> he does. <laughs> so yeah, that is the only Stephen King okay. adaptation that I have seen. <laughs> I saw that in theaters. I think I did too. I remember the moment when I was in the bathroom. When I went to the bathroom during the movie where I looked in the mirror and thought, I want to have his hair in the movie. <laughs> and it, reader, it did not go that well for no. me. Well, you had hair then, I guess. I, I had, yeah, but I tried to grow it out and it did not look so good. Children of the Corn. <laughs> oh, I've seen 112263 and read it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. Do we want to talk about Stephen King a little bit? Yeah, let's talk about Stephen King a little bit. I don't know. If, I mean, you, you haven't read much of his works. So I don't know. If really... That's the one I've read. Okay. <laughs> and I enjoyed it. Yeah. I love Stephen King. Yeah. I've read a bunch of his books. He seems I, like a good writer. He is good. He's good at certain things. He's very, very good at certain things. Mm-hmm. There are other things he's very much not good at. Mm-hmm. And the, the <laughs> I'm, I'm very impressed with the amount of books he puts out. And the fact that any of them are still good at all, which they are. He still writes some, some good things. I mean, like, when you put out that many things, they're not all going to be good. Yeah. But there's, there's a... He has this. He has this skill of like he can just make a story go, and he is bad at ending them. He's so bad at ending them, but he but he is so talented at starting them and then maintaining them and then creating things that are very powerful and memorable. What's your favorite Stephen King book? Favorite book individually? Yeah. Probably. Um. Oh shoot! I've read. I've read so many of them in high school. I went through like a huge, huge Stephen King phase in high school. I'm a really big fan of the Dark Tower series. Yeah, we've we've just, we've discussed. Yeah, we'll put, put about seven or eight dings here, and we'll we'll see how that ding, ding, plays ding, out ding, in the ding. future. I tried to read the first one. I read the first one. The Gunslinger. Yes. How'd you how'd you I feel thought it was about? weird. It is weird. It was hard to follow. It's the worst one. Um, I think the second one in that series, The Drawing of the Three, yeah. which confusingly is the second book, <laughs> uh, might be my favorite thing he's done. Yeah. I also have a soft spot for Hearts in Atlantis. Weirdly enough. It's one of his non horror. It's it's still it's actually. I mean, is the Gunslinger really horror? No, and the Hearts of Atlantis is actually deeply tied to the Gunslinger story. Interesting. I don't know if you know are aware of this, but the Dark Tower series is like the central point of his entire universe. And he has a universe. Yeah, yeah. There's uh, a Stephen King extended universe. Oh God. Okay. We now we have to do an episode just about <laughs> that concept because he has like all his stuff falls into that universe. Not all of it, but most. And it's of not it. all directly like in the same world, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. But there are connections and, like, not just, like, thematic overlaps, like, mm-hmm. elements, like, creatures and, and ways of traveling between worlds yeah. and concepts that all exist. And the Dark Tower series is, like, the central point of oh, the, all of those so things. So the, the Dark Tower is, it, well, I've read the first one, so you, you can kind of tell-ish. It's, like, the, there's a lot of, like, universe hopping Yes. in that. There's those. a lot of that. So yeah. all of those, that makes sense. That, yeah. that That's, like, the center of all this here's an example this is a i can i can get you i can get you three in one because there's the the book from a buick eight which he wrote i think 2004 sometime in the mid 2000s is about 
a couple of police officers in like probably rural Maine. I assume I haven't Where read it in a long time. Books yeah. take place. And they find a honestly that was kind of why I was surprised that this took place in Colorado. Right? Yeah, <laughs> feels weird. Feels 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 wrong. Maine seems like a much more specific place to close down a hotel for the winter. Right. <laughs> but that's that from a Buick Eight is about a possessed car. It's about a wacky magical car these guys find. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, which is basically the same plot as Christine. Uh, and there's in, a magical car in Christine. Yeah, Christine's about a magical car. Or Did it's about not a, know it's that. It's about a killer car. It's not it's identified as magical within the story, but it is a magical car of sorts. Is Stephen King crazy? No, he's just a writer. <laughs> but and you find out, and you sort of are led to understand in from a Buick Eight that the there was a creature driving this car when they, before they abandoned it. Creatures called a low man. Mm-hmm. These are the low men in yellow coats who are a major factor in Hearts in Atlantis. And these are servants of the Crimson King, who is the main villain of the Dark Tower series. Okay. Hey, that is what it is. What it is. Okay, interesting. Um, and 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 Pennywise is also like that kind of creature shows up again in the Dark Tower series. A killer clown. No, like a, like a psychic vampire. Oh. Okay. <laughs> this <laughs> is why we have to do an episode. <laughs> I won't even make you read a book for that one. I'll just like print out a map or I'll, I'll draw, I'll get a cork board. And I'll draw all the different connections. <laughs> I'm excited for that. You could actually do like the serial killer, like like red string. Serial killer between board. Between different things. Yeah, the board. I want to see you do that. This King is universe. why you got to get the cork board wall. Exactly. I've been saying. I thought you wanted the, I thought you were against the cork board wall. I don't know. I you wanted even, the chalk wall, I but I think anymore. you got to get the corkboard wall so you can have your we're, murder wall. We're literally <laughs> in the process of moving right now. Like, if I look to my left, I see about twenty-five green plastic tubs of all my shit, <laughs> and like it's like it's like the fog of war. I don't know what I've said or what I've done. It's all it's all a, such a blur. It's exciting. Uh, though. You can probably cut all of this anyway. The Shining. The Shining by Stanley Kubrick. It was a good movie. It was aesthetic as fuck. Oh, very aesthetic. So aesthetic. <laughs> Stanley Kubrick specifically, was... Specifically Ben and Emily aesthetic. Stanley Kubrick, Shout yes, out Ben yes. and Emily. <laughs> Shout out Ben and Emily. Because it, it was a movie that was made in the 70s, yeah. at least in 1980. <laughs> it's very good. Yeah. I think the acting is great. A lot of people took issue at the time, and Stephen King still does, with uh, Jack Nicholson's performance as Jack Torrance. Because really? Well, because he's... in the, Stephen King's argument against the movie in general is that in the book, Jack Torrance is meant to be a normal guy... Who Who's has a, driven crazy by who, the hotel. Who is an alcoholic, yeah. but who is de- fundamentally a decent guy. Yeah. Who, because he's at this haunted hotel, which is growing more powerful because of Danny's latent and psychic feeding abilities. feeding off his yes. psychic abilities and driving Jack crazy. And Jack is driven crazy by the hotel, and then he goes nuts, and then he like, has a moment of like, no, I have to fight the demons, Danny, run, at the end. But Where, in the, movie, in the like, movie, he's just a shitty guy. Jack is a shitty guy from the jump. Who like wants to kill his family. Yes, who hates his family, resents yeah. them so much, and it is... I did not get that at all when I first saw this movie, at all. But he fucking was like, hates you them. can like that conversation in the car. You're like, oh, oh. no, he's a fucking shitty he, guy. He just hates them, <laughs> and he and he thinks he should love Danny, and he kind of he he has affection for him. Mm-hmm. And he has that moment where he like has that nightmare where he kills his family. He wakes up and he's like shocked by it. So he's not he's not a, he's not a monster. Yeah, but he's a guy who hates his family, mm-hmm. and this hotel like finally like something he just snaps basically, mm-hmm. and there are ghosts involved. But he basically just snaps. But he's basically the same guy. From beginning to end. And and Jack Nicholson um, inhabits that very strongly. Yeah. You get that from the beginning because it is not meant to be hidden. Uh, but it is, it, is, it is a wacky performance, but it's a... It, it's a it's, good one. It's memorable. It's Was iconic. he nominated for any awards for that? I don't think so. Yeah. I don't think so. 
He's won an Oscar, uh, right? Yeah. Surely. Surely. One one must assume. Uh, and uh, the kid who plays yeah, what happened Danny. To him? Uh, well, his name is, I think his name is actually Dan. He was in one more TV movie, like right. a year or two later, and then decided he didn't want to be an actor. Good for him. So he's just not an actor anymore. Good for him. Because he has a very brief cameo in Doctor Sleep. Very brief. Okay. No, well, no speaking he lines. Has one. Is he, is, but Danny's in Doctor Sleep, right? Yes. Okay. Ewan McGregor is, of course, Danny. Oh, okay. Nice. Ewan <laughs> yeah, McGregor. And then there is Wendy. 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 Shelley Duvall. Let's blank on that. Shelley Duvall doing the Lord's work in this movie, doing a phenomenal job, and we should... Yeah. Being, like, iconic AF. We would be, we would be uh, remiss. We, we wouldn't. Again, it's our podcast. We can do whatever we want. But I, <laughs> I want to acknowledge that Stanley Kubrick is, not a, is at best, not a great guy and created mm-hmm. a, at best, uh, unpleasant environment on the set for everyone involved, especially, especially Wendy. Shelley Duvall. Duvall. I don't know why I can't think of her name. But Shelley Duvall, uh, we don't need to get into all that here, but we can acknowledge it, and we can acknowledge that in spite of whatever all that is, Shelley Duvall is doing a fantastic job in this movie. And her oh. her line reads are unusual. But they work. Until once you, if you, if you know what's going on, or that is to say if you agree with my interpretation of what's mm-hmm. going on, they make sense for a woman who is just trying to desperately like hold on to this idea that her husband did not break their son's arm and is not an uh, ongoing alcoholic yeah no she like she does desperate and and she has that great run at the end where she's like running around like flailing her arms or like flip up and down it's, it's amazing it's, it's so, so good. good iconic movie runs uh, yeah not 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 being ironic she's she's amazing she's her, amazing her, she's amazing her, her run is, is um, great to watch jack nicholson was actually an already an oscar-winning actor when this movie was released for uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Uh, that was going to be my guess. I think. That was going to be my guess. So yeah. I didn't say it on mic, but we all know I'm smart. Yeah. Because I knew it. For sure. But I didn't say it. For sure. Um, oh. Here's the thing I find intriguing. So, Doctor Sleep is the sequel to this. Um, but the sort of ending of this movie... Uh, kind of threw me and I kind of think leaves a weird space for like possibly a prequel. I mean, there's space for a prequel in this movie because the whole thing is that it's, uh, the hotel's haunted because there was a big murder. <laughs> um, <laughs> the movie actually does a great thing of providing like four or five different explanations for why it's haunted. Yeah. <laughs> and never really like coming down on any one thing. Yeah. Um, and I think the book, I've never actually successfully finished reading the book because it is like once you know the movie, it's like trying hard to read to... the book is like someone... It's like someone who, well, it actually literally is someone who was on cocaine describing to you the plot of the movie, but with more detail. And he doesn't know when to stop because he's on cocaine. <laughs> um, the sort of like the stuff with Jack in like the ballroom and the and the two different waiter, like the bartender guy and the porter guy and and the sort of you were always here. That whole like thing mm-hmm. and then at the end when you're like panning down and you're like it's like 1920 something and he's in that picture yeah. and i'm like what's happening here i want to know this give me this story please it's, it's such a fascinating way to end <laughs> the movie because it's not really clear to me anyway what that exactly means i mean i know it means that he's been sort of absorbed into the hotel and now he's one of these ghosts but the way the movie plays it is is not that i, I actually didn't get that but Thanks. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the, this whole thing running through the movie, especially with Grady and Lloyd, the bartender, mm-hmm. 
where it's like, no, Jack, you've always been here mm-hmm. and we've always been here and you've always been the caretaker. Yeah. So there's a sense that Jack is uh, stepping into a role that was always his and he's fulfilling a destiny of sorts. And this is the thing I kind of struggle with and maybe we can sort of touch on our uh, roots as a leftist podcast for a second here <laughs> because there is definitely a, a colonialism read of the movie too because one of the things they say early on is that the movie, uh, sorry, that the hotel was built on an Indian burial ground. Oh yeah, that was the, that was the thing that I was like, is this the first use of this like, this is why it's haunted trope? I don't think so. Or is this like... Cause a I thing think, that was already a trope. I think because Poltergeist said the same thing, and Poltergeist came out around the same time. That's as not this. Stephen King, is it? No, it's um, what's that? It's Toby Hooper, or it's really Steven Spielberg, mm-hmm. allegedly, allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> but I think you know this is probably one of the most prominent examples of it. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because it never really comes back into play textually, right? But there is a sense of like all these people are trapped in this moment. Of like the, this 1910s, 1920s elegance, in which is Colorado, when the hotel was built. Which right. like you have to wonder. Like I don't know. I I can't. I don't think like the Aspen area was what it it was for rich people now in 1910. Oh. well, in the movie they they say that yeah. this has always been a place for movie stars and yeah. you know famous people and, and billionaires and presidents, all the best people. Maybe it was, as Mr. Allman says in the movie. Mm-hmm. And there, there is a, there's a sort of, and I can't really elucidate this at all, but there is sort of a sense of these people all being trapped in this moment of, uh, of, of imperial violence that they enacted on this, on this land and on these, these native people. Mm-hmm. And for some reason that has trapped them in this moment where the hotel was built. Cause they're in the past. Cause the, the ball he's in and then the photo at the end is like, that's the past. Yeah. I think it says like 1922 or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's like pre, it's like pre um, stock market crash and yeah, pre and the, uh, and the, um, depression. The movie takes place like in the present. Yeah, in the eighties. Present day. Nineteen eighty. Present day. Present day. <laughs> Quote unquote present day. <laughs> um, so and I can't really because that that sort of is almost separate from the uh, abu- abuse read of the movie. Yeah. Or I don't know. Maybe maybe you can help me reconcile those two things because it's hard for me to get those two lined up because they seem to be intersecting but not actually <laughs> impacting one another exactly hmm. and again these are these are there's my reads you could have a totally different feel for the movie is about or what it's trying to say i or mean what it's, what I, it's exploring i think the i definitely get the like the you know abuse familial relations read of the movie i feel like that's very yeah that that's baked into it that's, that's there I think I I find that second thing very interesting, like the sort of these are colonialists who are being punished basically and are trapped there. And there's I mean I think I think there's there's sort of a thematic thing running through the movie of this like entrapment thing, um, in that like you know. Wendy is trapped in this relationship. These ghosts are trapped in the hotel. I don't really know what all those things being trapped means, <laughs> but it's thematically there. Um, and I don't know. I like I w- I do wish the sort of like native like land thing was touched on more. Yeah, but that's the magic of the movie is that because there are so many things that are clear and like identifiable and make a strong impression on you but there are so many there's a there's a there's a hole 
in the center of that donut, mm-hmm. as um, Benoit Benoit Blanc would say, <laughs> that that you can you can sort of fill that with whatever you want. Oh, like, you, you can decide that actually this movie is Stanley Kubrick's coded confession to helping fake the moon landing. Next Knives Out movie takes place at the Overlook Hotel. Ah. <laughs> one, one we can dream. We can dream. It takes place at the new Overlook Hotel on the surface of the moon. <laughs> Knives Out in space. In space. Um, Tell me you don't want to see Daniel Craig up there bouncing around in a big old, uh, yeah, big old space suit. I want to see Benoit Blanc up there. Because <laughs> I don't really care about Daniel Craig. Well, he, he portrays Benoit Blanc. I understand that, but the character is much more important to me than Daniel Craig. Yes, Daniel the character Craig. and the actor are inseparable. It's you, true. It would not be the same movie. Um, you are correct. Um, I think the I think the, the differentiating choice to leave the Overlook standing at the end of this, this movie, as opposed to in the book where it is like a, a husk. Of what it once was, from what I understand. Yeah, it, burn, it, it burns fire. down. It burns, it burns down because uh, Jack forgets to empty out the broiler. The broiler, the, the, yeah. broiler, the, the broiler. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the kitchen's a major part of the movie. Yeah. Uh, if he forgets to empty out the boiler because he's possessed by ghosts. Yeah. And then he, at the end, he's like, oh no, the boiler. And then yeah. he blows up. Yeah. Um, Which is really funny. I think the choice to leave the Overlook standing at the end is, is interesting in a, a sort of... Um, I mean, this is really kind of reaching, but a sort of capitalist, colonialist commentary in that, like, we know that this hotel is going to, it's going to keep going. Like, this this thing that has ruined a bunch of people's lives, both in this movie and in the context of the setup for this movie, is going to remain churning out money and attracting rich people and they're not going to be affected by it because like the whole like this mm. this is this is a this is a you know low-income family this is a um, lower middle class family like who comes here because it's free room and board basically and um you know okay now okay now we're on it now we're on the track here because yeah. you're right because he comes here for work yeah this is a job for him it's a job for him it's a job that will supposedly give him a chance to fulfill his dream of being a writer which he does mm-hmm. not seem to actually be in any real sense yeah but like he, he's coming there to like to live his dream yes but in getting there he finds out actually no your destiny is not to be a writer it's to be an employee of this hotel yeah and in fact you can never be anything else because you've always been this yeah and in fact the only things that are keeping you back from your destiny of dedicating your entire life nay your very soul to your job is your family so you have to correct them. Really, okay, now we're getting it. Now really, we're getting it. now it's we're commentary on, it. on capitalism and labor. There we go. You're welcome. Thank you, Kelsey. I knew you, I knew you would get me there. <laughs> I knew I knew you could do it. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that's totally untrue. <laughs> no, I think, I think you I think you're right. Because and there is something to to the effect of the fact that you know Danny and Wendy are you know victims of this violence that is you know not only personal to them because it's their you know it's 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 Jack doing it, mm-hmm. but it's also connected to this grander sense of violence that's been done to the native people, to mm-hmm. you know, other people, to the environment, to whatever you want to put in there. To and support it, the ruling class. And crucially, the, the moment that sort of like... The, the, the red rum thing. The moment where we see that, it, oh no, it actually says murder. Yeah. Always like, until this time watching it, I was always kind of baffled by that. Because I get it's like a... It's such an iconic thing, you almost can't really take it in the way it was meant to be taken in or at least mm-hmm. i couldn't the first time i saw it i definitely it. couldn't uh because it is kind of like oh it's murder okay 
he's saying this creepy thing and she just Wendy doesn't get what he means by it. Yeah. But but because, but that that's because that's the turning point of the entire movie mm-hmm. is that's because when she finally sees in the mirror and mirror is already a massive thing in the movie you yeah. see there's tons of shots to do that whole mirrors. moment is so telegraphed and it's like like beautifully so mm-hmm. like it's so like you're like this mirror is going to be important <laughs> <Yeah>. later <laughs> and because that's the moment where she realizes oh uh my husband danny's dad is going to kill us he is a he's a violent man mm-hmm. and we have to get out of here and it's only when they have that understanding of what's actually going on that they can escape the overlook. And now none of us can really escape capitalism or imperialism, obviously. Mm-hmm. But they are able to at least escape the worst consequence of it. They are not consumed by it the way Jack is. Because mm-hmm. Jack totally buys in because of his you know personal failings, because of his own, you know, the absence within himself that is filled by his, his job, his new job as the caretaker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. We got it. You're welcome. Thanks, Kelsey. Leftist podcast. We did it. Hey, we're we did back, it. baby. Yeah, no, like, I think that's definitely, like, a super valid read of it. Because, like I, I, like, I think the, the sort of thematic, like, entrapment and not really having a choice in, like, what you're doing or anywhere to go, like, you know, is also sort of symbolic of labor <laughs> and uh, that sort of thing. I don't know. There's a lot going on. Yeah. Maybe I would be able to say more if I'd seen more Stanley Kubrick, but. Maybe. Who can say? Yeah. <laughs> who can even say? Uh, yeah. Okay. We, we got it. I have a question. Yes, Kelsey. A sort of pitch time, but not really. Just sort of hypothetical. Let's go. Let's move into it. Um, if you could get Stanley Kubrick, what piece of, of literature or, yeah, probably literature or like any like media in general, would you want Stanley Kubrick to adapt? I've thought about this, but my my the thing I've thought about more is that because I it's it's a very this is a very basic thing to say, mm-hmm. and I, I thought this in college, and this was my thesis for my woefully woefully underthought final paper in junior year. Because you're a film major, right? Sophomore year, film, oh, was film concentration, film. film studies concentration. Film studies. Yeah, it's stupid. Uh, but the, the question is, what genre would I want to see him tackle? Because he did he did sci-fi. Because he he's done a lot of genres. he did horror. He did. Uh, he did war movies. Yeah. He did a lot of. What's genre- his war movie? Uh, f- uh f- Fields of Glory. Fields of Glory. I haven't seen it. Okay. I honestly haven't seen enough of his movies. But Dystopia. He, he did a lot of like. What? See, The Shining nowadays, if it came out, would be called elevated horror. Yeah. Uh, which is a whole another thing to talk about. Yeah. Um, we can talk about it in the next one with Emily. We could. Yeah, we could. The, 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 <laughs> we can. Yeah. yeah. I think that'll go. Good that'll, point. That'll. that'll this will move nicely into our next one. Very good, very good. <laughs> uh, what would I like to see him do? I don't know if I ever have an answer for it, though, because yeah. he already did horror, and he made mm-hmm. maybe the best horror movie of, of all time, perhaps. Perhaps. Uh, and he did, you know, as I said, science fiction. He did historical, uh, whatever you want to call it, Barry Lyndon. Mm-hmm. Um, and he did Clockwork Orange, which is also, I guess, sci-fi. See, it's not a good thesis, because it, yeah. it's a thesis of like a, 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 a sophomore in college who does not have a good professor, who would say... <laughs> Uh, sorry, Leon. Um, but I mean, just think about like media, like a, a book or something you'd want to see him take on. Doesn't necessarily have to be about the the genre. Yeah, I would. I don't know. I like, would guess... you want him to do another Stephen King? No, I wouldn't want that. I'd say, um, you know what? The way the way so 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 it was the same way that Darren Aronofsky has now sort of pivoted to making 
almost entirely biblical movies. <laughs> I would like to see that. I'd like to see the Stanley Kubrick, uh, not like the creation story, but like one of those weird Bible stories. You know, one of the weird ones. One of the weird ones. Like a... Something from like, I don't know, Kings maybe? <laughs> maybe the King David thing? That whole story, that's pretty good. That's a good story. See the one where he threatens to cut the baby in half? That's a King yeah, Solomon. Yeah, Solomon. <laughs> yeah. Something of that nature, you know? Or Job. I don't know. I only, I only, I only know. <laughs> Stanley Kubrick's Book of Job would be fantastic. <laughs> I don't know a lot of Bible stories. <laughs> that would be stories. great. Me neither, and then, which, which is also dumb, because my minor was religious studies. <laughs> Mine was art history, so I feel like I should know more, but... Yeah, well... That's mostly Jesus step stuff. Step it up. <laughs> what tales from the life of the Christ, Kelsey... Would you like to see Stanley Kubrick adapt? The one with the fish, where he, he like feeds everybody. Okay, I'm not sure there's enough there for a whole movie. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe Stan- if you shot Stanley the- Kubrick's The Passion of the Christ. <laughs> oh. oh, actually, you know, you know, I think that's not bad. Like I hey, feel like we already kind of made that because there's a bunch of footage in <laughs> Clockwork Orange of that stuff. <laughs> so he kind of already did that. So you should see a Clockwork Orange. I probably should. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. And honestly, the movie I probably would want to see by Stanley Kubrick, yeah. he's also made. It was called The Killing. I haven't seen it, but it's his film noir or thriller, mm-hmm. uh, you know, crime story, which is what I would want to see. And it already exists. You just it doesn't released. I haven't seen it. No, I just haven't oh. watched it. I'm oh. just I'm just a bad <laughs> I'm just a bad film fan. <laughs> okay. Too busy too busy just you know hook me up with that sweet A twenty four IV and crank those indie hits into me. <laughs> I don't need any of the classics. Oh, man. Just the new shit. The new shit. Um, uh, to revisit something you said earlier, uh, you think this is one of the best horror movies of all time. Yes. What top five horror movies all time go? Uh, top five in no particular order. I'm just, I mean, like, I'm trying to get all qualifications in here. Just yeah. like, I, you know, like iconography, mm-hmm. impact. This, Halloween... The Exorcist. Probably Alien, I would say. Alien a horror movie? It is. It is. It's, it's science fiction horror, but it is horror. And probably, I guess I'd have to say... Like, you're going to put a Hitchcock in there? Or is that uh, like a thriller? That's, I would call that thriller. Maybe, because I want to say Bride of Frankenstein, because that one's so good. Yeah. But, like an old school one. Yeah, I, I probably would need to at least allude to that. Frankenstein, probably. Yeah. Frankenstein's a pretty good you one. You can say Bride of Frankenstein. It's better, right? It's got more stuff in it. From, it's, got, it's got more guys in it. It's got more guys. <laughs> you love guys. Hey, who's your favorite guy from The Shining? Who's your favorite guy in The Shining? Yeah, who's your, like, you know, like, who's your who's the guy in The Shining? Like, there's a bunch of guys in The Shining. Most are there? Of the, most of them are in that last part when she's running through the, the hotel. She, she, she sells, sees all the different kinds of guys. The bartender, probably. It's a good guy. Lloyd? Lloyd, yeah, Lloyd's good. Yeah, Lloyd's a good guy. My favorite guy is the guy who says, great party, isn't it? <laughs> That's my favorite guy in The Shining. Oh, love a guy. Oh. Yeah, probably the bartender. <laughs> He's good. He's a good kind of guy. Yeah. Okay, I guess that's it. <laughs> that's it. You have Did, anything else you want to say? No, Shining's a good movie. Shining's a good movie. I recommend it. I, five out of five. Five out of five. Um, I liked it a lot. I mean, we're really expanding my like horror movie knowledge through this podcast and also from me just being friends with you. Because um, now I've seen this. And The Exorcist. So, two out of five there. Whoops. <laughs> we did watch Alien at our and first I did sort watch of like Alien. trolley run of not doing this as a podcast, but just doing it as friends. Yeah. Um, I did see Alien. Didn't love Alien. Alien's like the op- 
opposite of The Shining because Alien, I think, is so absorbed by the pop culture at large that yeah. it, you, it can't work the way it was meant to work. Whereas The Shining, I think, doesn't have that problem. Mm-hmm. Alien, because you know going into it what's going to happen. Like, more, you know. More or less, yeah. You know the chest bursting thing is going to happen. Yeah. And that's like, that's it. That's it. That's the, like, scary part. That, that's that's the thing that makes the movie what it is. And, and the rest you, of the movie is so slow. God, it's so slow. It's I, I don't, so slow. Like, like, The Shining is slow, but stuff happens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I never feel like I'm like, I've tried to watch Alien, like, I've watched I it four or five times. I Sigourney Weaver. Don't get me wrong. Uh, Aliens you should watch. Did we not watch that? We didn't, no. <laughs> yeah, Alien, I, I just, I, I'm sorry. I can't do it. I don't like it that much. It's not good. Yeah. Doesn't hold up. Doesn't hold up. Shining the Shining holds, holds up. up. <laughs> well, Kelsey, I want to give a very special thanks to you, first of all, for sharing this with me. It was Because fun. it is one of my favorite movies, as I said. It's a great movie. I'd watch it again. That's, uh, this year on Ruin My Life, <laughs> The Shining. Redux. <laughs> <laughs> over and over and over again. Oh, man. And we should just, we should, that's for your other podcast. We watch <laughs> The Shining once a month and come up with a new take, like Room 237 style. Yeah. <laughs> this, um, is, this is the new interpretation. It's called Room 238. <laughs> I don't hate it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that bad, right? Like, that could be a good podcast. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know who else I want to give a special thanks to? Is Danny Abowd of the Weeping Willards for use of their song, Outside in the Rain, from their self-titled album available on Bandcamp. And another special thanks to Carly Sussman, who designed our logo. You can find her work at carly-rose.com. If you like this show, tell a friend. Tell somebody. Download it, Keep or just keep listening, man. We know our schedule has been kind of rough lately. It's but been rough, you know. Listen, it's I like, had to go to a funeral. Jason's moving. I'm moving. It was, you know, it was the holidays. <laughs> so we're just gonna do. It's gonna be once a month, January, February, <laughs> yeah. and, and then, then we'll back then back to back. twice a month, March through December. You know, it's just, it's just been a weird time. You know? We're gonna hit 100 episodes this year, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> Fingers crossed, man. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Uh, and if you like this show or shows in general, uh, listen to Misery Loves Company by listen Morgan to Misery Stewart. Loves Company. I just finished it. You, finished, yeah. I finished season one. It's good, right? It's great. I've I've read the scripts for season two. It gets even better. Nice. It's the scripts are very very good, and coming soon there might be a little thing for fans of this show and fans of Jason. You know, maybe it's something you might be interested in uh, listening to. Some general bloodstone. So watch this space. No more than that. Spinoff. No. Spinoff? No, I can't say. Spinoff. I can't say. I'm also going to be in season two, as per <laughs> yeah, Morgan. Morgan so. on air. So on air. Figure that <laughs> it out, It made Morgan. the final cut. <laughs> um, yeah, listen to Morgan's podcast, the Misery Loves Company it's podcast. Great. There's another podcast called Misery Loves Company, but it's not about aliens. Yeah. So don't listen to it. This one's about aliens. Or do, but don't prioritize that one. Prioritize no, prioritize the, one the Misery Loves Company because they're a company of mercenaries. Get it? The Misery Loves Company. Do you get it? Get it. It's a good show. I enjoyed it a lot. All right. And now we're going to send our send this good energy out there into the world. Wait, who are we vibing towards? Yeah, I got that. Yeah, that's four letters, <laughs> you right? You get that, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Mm, go, go to, to therapy. therapy. They wish I would go ahead and fuck my life up. 
Can't let them get to me And even though I always fuck my life up Only I can mention me They wish I would go ahead and fuck my life up Can't let them get to me And even though I always fuck my life up Only I can mention me Only I can mention me Only I can mention me Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Posthumously. He, he, he died of natural causes. Drugs. No. Natural causes. He was, you might even say, killed <laughs> okay. by natural causes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, uh, after the production of Eyes Wide Shut, a movie about the secret cabal of pervert billionaires in New York City. Ah. Uh. Allegedly. Allegedly, 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 allegedly. <laughs> parody, parody. <laughs> Not actionable. This is a fictional podcast. Jason and Kelsey are characters.